He was a man named Dan. Well into his 80s by the time I finally met him. Years and years ago now, we were taking evangelistic DVDs to every household in Lee Summit. For those that are maybe too young to know what a DVD is, it, it was a, a little silver disc that we used to watch movies on. Remember that? In the olden days? And so we made this evangelistic DVD. Our goal was to take one and put one on every home in Lee Summit. When we got done with that, we started doing some of the surrounding areas. And Dan lived in Raytown. I don't know who, but somebody had hung this DVD on his door, and he came to church the next Sunday. He was a guy that had really avoided church all of his life. Uh, he uh, was a guy that uh, didn't describe himself at all as a man of faith, though he was a really good man, family man. I got an email from him shortly after he started coming. The question was this, Pastor Phil, I have no peace. I'm well into my 80s. Is it true that God can forgive any sin? And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about how we can find peace, peace with God, peace with men, as we talk about the five offerings of the ancient Hebrews. We're going to pick it up in the book of Leviticus, chapter 3, that outlines the peace offering for us. Now, remember where we've been. Jesus is the fulfillment of all five offerings of the ancient Hebrews. We're studying the book of Leviticus, and we're studying specifically the five sacrifices of the ancient Hebrews as they left Egypt, and Moses has delivered them from captivity. He's now leading them on a journey to a land that would flow with milk and honey, and it's this time in history that God gave the revelation to men through a written pen for the first time ever. And Moses goes up to Mount Sinai. He came down with the Ten Commandments, but he came down with more than just the Ten Commandments. He came down with what we call the law, the law of God, the books of Leviticus, the books of Deuteronomy. Now, I want to remind you of something that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said these words in Matthew 5. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets, I did not come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. You see, Jesus is saying, I'm the fulfillment of all that Moses wrote. I'm the fulfillment of the law of God. This book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy is what the Jews called the law, the Mosaic law. And Jesus said, now I'm the fulfillment of everything we're now reading and everything we're now studying. Now, I know a lot is coming at us because most of us have never heard anything from the book of Leviticus. It's amazing to me that the most quoted book in the New Testament by Jesus and the apostles is the most ignored book in the Old Testament by modern Christians. And the sad tragedy is that the modern church has either completely ignored the book of Leviticus or outright rejected the book of Leviticus. Listen, we live at a time unknown in any other time in church history, what some call the age of the red letter Christian where many Christians say, well, I believe the words in red. If Jesus spoke it, that is what I believe. But everything else is up for grabs. And when he would talk about the Bible, it's kind of a cut and paste theology. And so there's a lot of churches, a lot of pastors, a lot of theologians that have outright rejected the book of Leviticus, basically saying it's not really inspired scripture. And that I want you to see is heresy before you turn out any part of the Bible and throw away any part of the Bible. Be careful because Jesus believed it all. And Jesus was talking specifically here about the book of Leviticus. 
He said, listen, it's all about me. You better believe it came from God because it's all a shadow of the Son of God and what Jesus would do on the cross when he would die for our sin and rise again. He said, I'm the fulfillment of all these sacrifices. And on the cross, he indeed became our burnt offering. He indeed became our grain offering. And today we're gonna see that he became our peace offering. He said these words, for assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Jesus was saying, basically in our vernacular today, not one dot over the I, not one cross on the T would be lost from the law until all is fulfilled. Jesus, you see, is the fulfillment of all the shadows that we're now studying. What is a shadow? A shadow is not the substance. A shadow is not the source. Listen carefully. Jesus is the substance of our salvation. The cross is the source of our salvation. But these offerings, you see, are shadows that point to the substance. And that's what we're now studying in the peace offering. So if you're ready now, Leviticus chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to pick it up right here. Everybody say peace. All right, here we go. Now remember, just by way of review, we've studied the burnt offering as a shadow of Christ's death and that he was completely consumed for us. He poured out his life completely. He held nothing back from anybody. When he said, it is finished, it is finished, the burnt offering was the only offering that was completely consumed on the altar in the fire. It was reduced to ash because on the cross of Calvary, Jesus took the fire of God's wrath for our sin and our place. But he can only do that because he's also the grain offering. The grain offering didn't speak of Christ's death, but rather his life, his sinless life. The grain offering was an offering of unleavened flour, leaven in the Bible, a picture of sin. Jesus is the bread of life. He was the sinless bread of life. He never ever sinned. That's why he can become our sin sacrifice. And the next in line is now the peace offering. Why do we now have peace with God? Because Jesus died for our sin and he could die for our sin because he himself never ever sinned. And and so the peace offering we're going to study today is a shadow of our peace with God made possible now through the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't this stuff amazing? Now, I know I, I geek out over this stuff. I, I know. I do. Because I think the Word of God is just so mind-boggling, mind-blowing. I'm telling you, men are not smart enough to do this stuff. I mean, over, I see this, this is a supernatural book written by a supernatural author because all the shadows and all the pictures, listen, men are not smart enough to put this stuff together. Now, there's a lot coming at you because most of us have never studied the book of Leviticus. I'm doing something starting today at 4.30 over in the core. We call it the well because it's a deep dive into the Word of God. It's where we drink deeply from the Word of God. I'm going to do verse by verse through the rest of the book of Leviticus this year at the well, 4.30 Sunday afternoons. We're only going to study the offerings on Sunday mornings, then we're going to move on to other stuff, all right? Now, I want you to see what it says in Romans 5 and verse 1. Paul gave us the synopsis of the peace offering in the Old Testament. This is now Jesus fully embodying it in the New Testament. Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace. peace. We have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. What's it mean to be justified in the eyes of God? It's just as if you'd never sinned. You see, Jesus has ended the rebellion and the war between God and men. He's made peace with God on our behalf, and that's what he did on the cross. And that's what we're about now to study, Leviticus 3 and verse 1. Here we go. When his offering is a sacrifice 
of a peace offering, if he offers it of the herd, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. What we're now seeing is a shadow of the peace and reconciliation with God through the sinless sacrifice of Jesus, the Son of God. You see, the sinless sacrifice, there you have the burnt offering and the sacrifice and the grain offering and that he was sinless. And because he was a sinless sacrifice, he's brought now peace with God and reconciliation with God and men. What's that word mean, reconcile or reconciliation? Well, once I actually did a wedding for a, a couple that had been divorced, divorced a long time. They once were together, and then they became enemies. There was open hostility between them. But they reached a point in their life where they made peace with each other. Not only did they make peace with each other, but they got married again to one another. That's called reconciliation. They reconciled. And that is a picture of what God has done for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, I don't know if you realize this or not, but there is not peace between you and God. No, see, the Bible teaches we are the enemies of God because God is holy and we are sinful. Every time we sin, we wage war against him. And because we wage war against him with our sin that's called rebellion, and because we come into this world as members of Adam's fallen race in rebellion against God, we now need to be reconciled with God, and that's what Jesus, the Son of God, did. I look at it kind of like this. Listen, we all have these hearts that are prone to wander. We all want to be in control of our own lives. We don't want to surrender control to anyone, including God. And uh, coming up the 4th of July, there's going to be more flags waving in the city than any other time of year. Why do we fly flags on the 4th of July? Because that flag represents what? Independence. It, it, it represents personal autonomy, that we are free from everybody. And so uh, a flag represents in some way independence, and we all fly our colors. We all fly our flags. Um, this is going to represent that flag of independence, at least in my life, for me, personally. These are my colors. Those of you that know, hey, wave the wheat with me, would you? You know, the Leviticus, do you realize there's a wave offering in the book of Leviticus? Do you know every time you go to a Kansas game, you see people waving the wheat? That's biblical. Great Christians go to the University of Kansas. I'm just, it's in the Bible called the wave offering. I'll talk about it later this year. All right, so this right, hey guys, this is the peace offering. So today, can we just make peace? I mean, the border war has been going a long time. The war's over. We're not even in the same conference anymore, okay? Can, can we just extend some peace to each other? Now, in some way, this flag represents Pastor Phil. This is my independent heart. Something in me wants autonomy. I don't want to surrender control of my life to anybody, not even God. And we come into this world already in rebellion against God. In some way, guys, this is a rebel flag. And we all have a rebel flag. Now, I don't know what your rebel flag would be, but you got a rebel flag because you got a rebel heart. And every time we sin against him, we hoist our flag as though we are making rebellion against him. We're saying, I'm independent from him. That's what happens every time we sin. 
And instead of flying Jesus' flag that represents ownership, that represents that we are under him, we want to fly our flag as though he is now under us. And, and you see, that is open rebellion. Every time we live independently from him, every time we choose to sin, we make rebellion against him. We declare war on him. And that is why Colossians 1 puts it this way. This is kind of the theological dissertation of the Apostle Paul on the peace offering from the book of Leviticus, for it pleased the Father that in him, that's Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. The fullness of what? The fullness of God. Jesus was fully God. He was more than a man. Now, he was a man, but he was more than a man. He was God who became man. You see, God himself became a man so that he could become our sacrificial lamb. And you see, that's why he is now the fulfillment of all of these offerings. These are all blood offerings, except the grain offering that was a bread offering because he is the bread of life. But he would say on the night before his death, this is the bread that I give you, this bread to be broken for you. This is my body that's about to be bruised for you. He was getting ready to make his burnt offering, having been the grain offering. And I want you to see, the only reason he could do that is because he was more than in humanity, he was fully deity, the second person of the Trinity, and that is why he could die for our sin at Calvary. He became our sacrificial lamb. John chapter 3, behold the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, and all of that is now embodied in these offerings. He's now our peace offering. He's made peace because he was God. He can make peace for God with men. What's it say? And by him to reconcile, there it is. All things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having been made peace through the blood of his cross. Why do we now have peace with God? By the blood of Jesus. The peace offering he made at Calvary. And that he shed his blood as a peace offering for us. And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. We think, well, I'm not an enemy of God. Yes, you are. Every time you sin, you become his enemy. You see, the scripture tells us we come into this world apart from Christ, alienated from God, separated from God, enemies of God. There's open hostility between us and God. Somebody says, oh, I'm a good person. No, you may be a good person, but you're still a sinful person. There's not one among us that isn't sinful. Moses came down with the Ten Commandments. That's most of what we know about the law, right? There's more than just the Ten Commandments. We're studying it in the book of Leviticus, but you've heard of the Ten Commandments. God gave us the Ten Commandments to reveal that we cannot save ourselves. The Ten Commandments are about perfection, and if you could not keep them perfectly, James 2.10 says, if you stumble in even one of the Ten Commandments, you've broken all of the Ten Commandments, because before God, who is perfect, nothing less than perfect perfection can get into heaven. You see, God gave us a test in the Ten Commandments, the law of God, not because he thought we would pass it, but because he knew we would get a big fat F on it. Fail. Let me say, hold on, wait a minute, Pastor Phil, I've only broken two of the Ten Commandments. I've only broken three of the Ten Commandments. You don't understand, the standard for heaven is pass-fail. You see, we've all sinned. That's why Romans 3.10 says, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
And it comes from a heart of rebellion. It comes from a heart inside all of us that wants to stake our own claim, be the captain of our own ship, live independently of him. That, friends, is called rebellion. That's why there is war between God and men. We make war with him, which means we're desperate for reconciliation. I just need to tell you this. Yesterday, I'm doing some work outside and uh, I've got my chainsaw, and I'm, I'm cutting up a stump that's right next to my metal barn. And as I'm cutting this stump, it's right next to my metal barn, the chainsaw jumps, and I slice a hole in my metal barn. Some of you are laughing, and that's not funny. <laughs> it wasn't meant to be funny spontaneous, uh, I was so irritated. In the flash of that moment, I got in the flesh instead of the spirit, and in that moment, guess what happened? I took the Lord's name in vain. I broke one of the Ten Commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. I had not done that in years. I'm talking blankety-blank, asterisk, asterisk, period, asterisk. This is not meant to be funny. <laughs> I just need to tell you this, because I'm not gonna preach this message without being honest with you. James 5.16 says, confess your faults one to another and pray for each other that you may be healed. I'm, I'm confessing my fault before you, lest I preach in pretense. My heart is not unlike anybody else. I, I stopped what I was doing. I, God in heaven, would you please forgive me? I cannot believe I just did this. Jesus, you do not deserve that. Your name is holy. Your name is sacred. Where did that come from? I'll tell you where it came from. It came from a heart of rebellion that is in need of constant consecration, constant blood, the blood of the lamb constantly redeeming me, constantly reconciling me to God. Jesus said, apart from me you can do nothing. Jesus, I cannot do this apart from you. I confess my desperate need for you. You see, that's what it's demanding every day. I've got a heart that is prone to wander away, a heart that grows calloused, a heart that grows cold, a heart that wants to fly my own flag and do it my own way. I know what I'm talking about when I speak into your life because I know what goes on in my life. And in that moment, I declared war on God. I don't want to be at war with God. And you see, I'm not today at war with God. Why? Because I've been reconciled to God by the blood of his cross. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin, for bleeding in my place, for giving your body to be broken, your body to be bruised. Thank you, Jesus, that you took my penalty, you took my punishment, you took my place, so now I don't have to live in rebellion and live in sin's ruin. I can now live in redemption, restoration, reconciliation. There is peace with God now between God and men, God and Phil. Reconciled in the body of his flesh. You know why? Because on the cross, 
The sinless Son of God took our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, who knew no sin. The sinless Son of God became sin for us. All of our sin was placed on him so that he might present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Now in the eyes of God, he no longer sees your sin. He sees his Son. He no longer sees your sin. He now sees the blood, the blood of the Lamb of God that was shed for our sin, and he declares you justified, just as if you'd never sinned. The war is over. There's now peace with God and men. And all of this is pictured now in the peace offering. What is pictured? Ephesians 2.14, for he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. I want you to notice what it says. Jesus did more than make peace. He is peace. He did more than offer our peace. He himself is our peace. And on the cross, he tore down that wall of separation. There was a literal wall in the temple that separated the Gentiles from the Jews and it separated the Jews from the presence of God too. Uh, there was a, a, a separation of a curtain from the presence of God in the Holy of Holies to the inner court where the religious people could go. And then there was another wall that separated the outer court from the inner court where the Gentiles could go and then only the Jews could go. And what Paul is teaching here is that he has become our peace, tearing down all the walls that separate men from each other and separate men from God. It was on the cross of Calvary that he's now made peace with God and men so that we can now live at peace with each other. Listen, we live in a world at war, have you noticed? We live in a world that is at war with itself and war with each other. Why do we live in a world at war? I'll tell you why. Because we live in a world that's in rebellion against God. And as long as there is rebellion, there is warfare. We need to end the rebellion and seek reconciliation. Made possible now through the Lord Jesus Christ. Leviticus 3.1, I want you to see now every nuance, this amazing picture that's about to emerge that Jesus would do on the cross, every detail. I'm telling you guys, amazing. I know I get geeked out over this stuff. I know. I can't help it though. God's word is amazing. All right, it says this. When his offering is a sacrifice of a peace offering, if he offers it of the herd, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. Now, I want to point something out. Remember the burnt offering two weeks ago? Could only be a male. Why? Because it pictured Jesus on the cross, the male lamb without blemish. But now, for the peace offering, it could be a male or female. Why? Because anyone before God Male or female is welcome to enter into peace with God. The details are amazing. Like Moses didn't just have a brain freeze and a slip of the pen included females. Ladies, God loves you too. Without partiality, without favoritism. Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. We all have equal access now behind the veil in the Holy of Holies in the presence of God. While the burnt offering had to be a male as a shadow of Christ, the peace offering could be a flock of a male or female because the peace offered to, by God is a peace offered to everyone. It did not matter who. 
And you see, God is now teaching. This has to do now with me and you. Uh, he shall lay his hand on the head of this offering, verse 2. Follow along. And kill it at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall sprinkle the blood all around on the altar. Then he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering an offering made by fire before the Lord. Now I want you to know something. This is exactly like the burnt offering. The elements are the same, so I'm not going to rehearse everything we talked about two weeks ago. But I want you to remember something. Why is it, as New Testament worshipers of the living God, we can bring our Bible to church, but we don't have to bring a lamb or a ram to church? Because Jesus fulfilled past tense. Everything we're now learning. When God gave this to Moses, it was all a picture of the future. But now Jesus fulfilled it, so now the shadows point to the past. We're going to take communion next week. That's a shadow that points back to the cross. These were all shadows that pointed to the cross. And I want you to see that we ought to be very, very thankful to be New Testament worshipers, not Old Testament worshipers, because now you don't have to bring a lamb or a ram to church because it would take a lot of cleaning up up here afterwards, wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, it was ugly, it was brutal, it was bloody because Calvary and the cross of the Son of God on which he died, it was brutal, it was ugly, it was bloody, and all of that was a picture of what Jesus would do for you and me. The fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidney, he shall remove. Everybody go, ew. Oh, Phil, this is getting gross. Hey, let me explain. Part of the reason why this is just gross to us is because we live in the modern era. There was a day and age, not too much in our history, where if you wanted to eat, you either grew it, you caught it, or you killed it. Now, we're not used to doing that. We're used to going down to Hy-Vee or Price Chopper and buying that chicken breast, and it looks so nice and clean and pristine in that cellophane wrapper. I hate to break this to you, but somebody had to kill it for you to eat it. And it was ugly and it was bloody. Now, I've been around this all my life. I'm part farm kid growing up on my granddad's farm, and I remember going with my grandpa to the chicken house, and he had an ax in one hand. And that phrase, run around like a chicken with your head cut off, I know what that looks like. <laughs> and he'd clean it and take it in the house, and my grandma would cut it up, and we'd have fried chicken that night. Mmm, finger looking good. <laughs> Especially after reading some of this, huh? <laughs> Going to change the way you eat that chicken breast from now on, isn't it? I want you to see something, though. Historically and practically, this was food for the Levites. The burnt offering was the only one they could not eat of. This was part of God's provision for their families. The Levites were the only tribe that was not going to get a land allotment, meaning they would have no crops, they'd have no flocks. They were going to tend to the tabernacle and temple day and night. And so part of their provision for eating and feeding their families, it was these offerings. More than that, though, going on, they are shadows of something far deeper, far more amazing. I want you to notice here, unlike the burnt offering where all the emphasis is on the innards, only the innards were going to be burned on the altar. The meat itself was going to feed the family of the Levite priest. 
But it was the peace offering. All the emphasis here is on the inner parts. You know why? God is teaching us something very significant. As Aaron's sons, the priests, would burn it on the altar, they were teaching in a shadow that real peace with God through this peace offering, it tells us that it was only possible to have peace internally, not externally. You see, it was only the inner part because peace is found inwardly, not outwardly. And this is why many of us here have no peace of God. We lack the peace of God, even though we might have as a Christian peace with God, because you're still looking for peace outwardly when real peace can only be found inwardly. You're looking for peace in your outward circumstances. You're looking for peace in your outward condition. You're looking for peace in your outward situation. You're looking for peace in uh, prosperity financially. You're looking for peace in the relationships with your family. You're looking for peace in your promotion and pleasure. You're looking for peace in a pill. And I'm trying to tell you, there is no peace in anything other than Isaiah 9, 7, the Prince of Peace. It's not what God does on the outside, it's what God does on the inside. My friend Dan, after meeting him and getting that email, I responded back to him and he made an appointment to come into my office. Here's an 80 plus year old man. He lived all of his life with no peace, though he was a good man. I mean, he's one I mean, we'd say today, man, he assaulted the earth. I mean, just a great man. Here is a Korean War veteran. Here is a man that was faithful to his family all of his life. Great husband, great father. I mean, here's a company man, stayed with the same job for 40 plus years of his life, but he never had any peace. He wanted peace. He began to tell me his story. In the 1950s, he'd come back from the war. He met a woman that he would marry. They fell in love. And before they got married, he'd got her pregnant. He had not told a soul until right now, over 50 years later, he'd kept this hidden. He began to shake and tremble and tears began to roll down his face. He said, Pastor Phil, I killed my son. This is in the 1950s, we aborted the baby and I, I killed my baby, I killed my son. He began to weep and, and he began to cry and sob and, and he, he asked me, is it true that God can forgive any sin? I said, yes, Dan, God can forgive any sin. Jesus died for your sin, Jesus died for that sin. And today there can be reconciliation, today you can have peace with God. And he prayed the most simple, profound prayer. He, he prayed that day as he bowed, God, would you forgive me of my sin? Would you forgive me that I killed my baby? Would you give me the peace of God, peace with God? Jesus, would you forgive my sin? And on that day, Dan received the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. He walked out for the first time in his life, a man that was at peace. For years, he tried to work off his sin. If I can just be a good man, if I can just be a good person, and for the first time in his life, he found peace with God. He lowered his flag, no longer waving a rebel flag. He raised up the white flag of surrender. He surrendered his life in the closing moments of his earthly life to find peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice all the emphasis on the fat specifically the fat 
Uh, the fat was consumed on the altar. What is going on here with the fat? Listen carefully. Fat in ancient days was considered something of beauty. Now, in our modern era, in our culture, you know, 5% body fat, that's supposed to be a picture of health. Listen, in ancient days, 5% body fat was not considered a picture of health. If you were considered a person that was wealthy and a person that's really healthy, you were carrying a spare tire. Yeah. In ancient days, you got to remember, uh, they, they were not eating the stuff that we eat today, and they were walking everywhere, and they were working just to survive, and so uh, typically, they were pretty lean people, and so in ancient days, what was considered a thing of beauty was somebody who was a little bit healthier than others, okay? This is what's going on here. To the ancients, fat was a picture of wealth. Fat was something that made you rich. Now I want you to see what God is teaching. Leviticus 3.16 tells us all the fat is the Lord's. They were to sacrifice all the fat. They were not to eat the fat. They were to give God the very best. Uh, the blood represents life, Leviticus 17.11, and the fat represents the richness of life. The fat represented the abundance of life. Uh, even now, think about it this way. I'm a meat eater. I make no apology. I love a good steak. I do. And the very best steak, because I've become an expert on steaks. I like a sirloin, but it's pretty lean. You got to be careful what you do with a sirloin. You, you'll, you'll overcook it. And uh, you'll make it like leather. So my favorite steak, if I go to Longhorn, and I'm going to splurge a little bit, is the bone-in ribeye. Now, you know why I like the bone-in ribeye? because it's got what people call marbling. That's code for fat. Yeah, it's a little more palatable if it's marbling. It's well marbled, that's what it says. Oh no, it's got more fat than the sirloin. That's what makes it tasty, that's what makes it juicy, that's what makes it tender. And what the ancients were saying as they put this on the altar is we're gonna give God the very best. We're gonna give him the very best and only as we give God the very best does he then bless the rest. See, the priests were gonna eat of this offering that night, but they were not gonna eat the fat. They were gonna give God the fat because it represented the very best. Now here's the deal, we want God to bless the rest but we withhold the best. We want God to bless the rest, but we want to keep our best. We want the best of our time. We want to use it the way we want to use it. We hoist our flag over and over again. I'm going to hang on to most of my tithe. I'm not going to give it all to him. Uh, I, I want God to bless my opportunity, but I really want to leverage my opportunity and my energy for what I want to do, for my glory. And you see, we withhold from God the best, hoping he'll bless the rest. And they're saying here, listen, oh no, you got to give God the fat. You got to give him the best, and then he's going to bless the rest. Now look at what it says. Now watch this. Psalm 63, 5. The, the psalmist said this, my soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. You see, the ancient Hebrews knew that real richness, real wealth is not something inward outwardly. It's, it's what God does in your life inwardly. This is why you may not be wealthy financially, but you can be absolutely the richest man you've ever met who ever lived. Because real wealth is found in Jesus. Real peace 
is not in material prosperity. Real peace comes from knowing that I am reconciled with God eternally and I'm gonna be wealthy, wealthy forever with wealth that will not fade away, that will not decay. All right, now watch this, it goes on. Verse five, and Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar upon the burnt sacrifice. Now, don't miss this. This is the most important part of the peace offering. They would burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering. You could not offer a peace offering until you'd first made a burnt offering. Mm. What's God teaching? Watch this, watch this now, don't miss this. You could only make a peace offering after you made a burnt offering. Some of us lack the peace of God because we've never fully surrendered ourselves to God. See, you're trying to walk in the peace offering without having made your burnt offering. Remember what the burnt offering is? It's a picture of Jesus being fully consecrated and consumed for us, but it's also a picture of us being fully consecrated and consumed for him, withholding nothing back from him. Romans 12 and verse 1, I beseech you, I urge you, I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's every single day. Put yourself on the altar and dying to self. 1 Corinthians 15, 31, the apostle Paul said, I die daily. Galatians 2, 20, I am crucified with Christ. There's the burnt offering. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. There's the grain offering. And as you die to self, and all of a sudden you live for Christ now, and only then do you begin to walk out the peace offering in your life. Oh, this is good, isn't it? This is amazing stuff. But the reason some of us, frankly, don't live with the peace of God is you have never surrendered yourself fully to God. You keep taking down your flag of independence and you get about halfway down and then you hoist it back up again. That's the nature of a living sacrifice. As some have said, the nature of a living sacrifice is it keeps crawling down off the altar. And when you realize I have crawled down off the altar, you gotta crawl back up there again, make the burnt offering, and as you make the burnt offering, you'll start living out the grain offering, and I will promise then you'll find the peace of God. Now this is amazing, watch this. God gives us these offerings not once, but twice in the book of Leviticus, back to back. Leviticus one through five gives us these offerings the first time. The peace offering is third in line. God doesn't miss a thing. He gives us these offerings again, Leviticus 6 and 7, only this time he moves the peace offering to the last in line. It's fifth instead of third. You know why? Watch this. The first time they represent how to have peace with God. The second time they represent how to have peace of God. You see, the first time they represent what God has done for us, the second time they represent what we're to do for God. Watch the progression. Now, God is so amazing. Moses didn't just have a brain freeze and a slip of the pen. Ooh, I forgot the peace offering. Let me put it now. No, God is showing us something very specific here. He's very meticulous in all that he does. First, you become a burnt offering. You die to self. And as you die to self, you naturally become the grain offering, and all of a sudden you start living like Christ because you've died to self, and you become Christ-like in your life. Christ who was sinless. And because now you've died to self, you're living for him, you're now overcoming your sin, and now you've become the sin offering. Not that you're going to be sinless like him, not in this life, but you can sin less 
less and less and less, and that's the natural product of being the burn offering, surrendering yourself, dying to self, and then you become the grain offering. You start living like him who was without sin, which means now you're sinning less and less and less before God, and then you become the trespass offering, which means you sin less before men. The sin offering had to do with your sins before God. The trespass offering had to do with your sins before men, and all of a sudden, you start living like him. Jesus never sinned before God, never sinned against men. All of a sudden, last in line, you have become the peace offering. Now you have peace with God and peace with men. I love this stuff. I mean, am I the only one? I know I'm getting nerdy. <laughs> but the, it blows my mind what God has done in his word. And to think people really believe, oh, this wasn't from God. Moses was an amazing man. He really was. I can't make to wait to meet him, but he's not this smart. He's not this smart. Only God could have put these shadows. Only God could have written these pictures in words. Absolutely remarkable. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us the theological dissertation in the New Testament on the peace offering of the Old Testament. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And church, that's all I am today. I'm an ambassador of the Son of God, and I am imploring you to be reconciled to God. Today is the day to be reconciled to God. Jesus came, the sinless Son of God, to become like the sons of men, so the sons of men could be forgiven and become like Him. But what does it mean to be reconciled? You gotta end the war. You gotta lower the flag. That flag of independence, that flag of personal sovereignty, the flag that desires autonomy. Several years ago, I was fishing off the coast of Florida, gone down for a little guide trip to do some offshore fishing. I got a phone call. It's my assistant, Pastor Phil, you need to call Dan. He's dying, he wants to talk to you. I had a horrible connection, but in between the broken parts of that phone call, I could hear Dan's voice. He's literally on his deathbed. I only knew him about two years, but he became such a blessing. He came to know Jesus, began, honestly, I think, making up for lost time. I, my remembrance of Dan is one wintry, nasty, Sunday morning when most people stay home when he probably should have stayed home and he walked with a cane and ice and snow he walks in on that Sunday I said Dan what are you doing here he said I, I didn't come to church all my life I'm not missing it now we were doing that carnival that year and here's a man can barely walk walk with a cane you got a case of water under his arm walking with a cane. Here's a man at peace, and he finally found a purpose. The reason he'd found his purpose 
is because he had ended the rebellion. There was no warfare. The way you end a war is this right here. You raise a white flag. The white flag of surrender. You want to end a war with your wife? Surrender to Christ. You want to end the war with your neighbor? Surrender to Jesus. This was a sweet-smelling sacrifice. It would fill the tabernacle with a sweet aroma. And I will promise you, a man or a woman at peace with God will carry the fragrance of Christ wherever they go. Into your home, into your neighborhood, into the place you work. Jesus, I pray for every person here today that today would be the day of sweet surrender to know the joy of sweet salvation, reconciliation. With every head bowed, every eye closed, one invitation, two decisions. Some of you today need to come to faith for the first time truly, repenting of your sin, ending the rebellion, putting your faith in him. God will give you reconciliation. Others of us know that, we have that. We have peace with God, but we lack the peace of God. You're still holding out on God, not fully surrendered. There's an area of your life still in rebellion. Precious people, I wish we had time to linger here. We really don't. I'm, I'm gonna do this though. I'm gonna stand at this platform. Others are gonna stand with me. And as others are leaving, you know who you are. You need to take a step forward. You need to come meet one of us right here and make certain of your salvation or just come and kneel at this place and talk to no one but Jesus and make a surrender. God in heaven, I pray that not one would lay their head on that pillow another night without knowing the sweet, beautiful peace that surpasses all understanding. In Jesus' name. Amen. Love you all very, very much. I hope you have a really blessed Sunday. God bless you. God go with you.